Welcome to Season 1, Episode 9 of the Strength Empire Podcast. Before we jump into the episode, I just want to touch on a couple different things. The first being a little bit of an apology for the delay in this episode coming out. The reason I wanted to do this seasonal format is to be able to have a batch of episodes come out, then have a little bit of a break, and then be able to consistently bring out a second batch. However, with this entire coronavirus situation going on, for those that may know the exact time frame of what's going on for me right now, I'm actually in Memphis, Tennessee, which is not normal. I'm normally in Charlotte, but I'm over here staying with my brother and working for him and with him. And my schedule has just been super, super busy with work and then trying to get this stuff scheduled around it has just not worked out very well. So my apologies for that, but we will have one more episode coming out after this one does come out. And this is episode nine. So we'll finish up the season with 10 episodes. And before we jump into the episode, let's go over the social media stuff. You can follow me at Strength Empire Gym. That's my gym page. At Blatnik Strength is my personal page. But let's talk about podcast at Strength Empire Podcast. When I am putting out an episode, I do try to throw up a little thing in the Instagram story up there where you can ask questions for that guest. And I really try not to do a lot of a heads up. Um, I just try to throw it out there and say, boom, here. Oh, did you have questions for this person? And then let's introduce today's guest is going to be Coach Tom Soroka. I've known Tom for quite some time now uh, through the Highland Games, but I started ta- following Tom a long, long time ago when he was first getting into weightlifting is when I first kind of discovered Tom and followed Tom. I've loved watching Tom uh, compete over the years and his evolution as a strength athlete has been fun to follow and someone that I definitely mold my can see molding myself off of. If you want to find Tom, you can find him at uh, strength underscore coach underscore Sroka on Instagram. And he always does a corny joke Friday. So it's, I love the dad jokes. I have no shame there. You can get on and follow Tom and, and see his corny joke Friday. They're always a meme on that. Or if you want to follow his gym for more information or his training, it's at the Strength Agenda as well. So without further ado, enough of me rambling. Let's get into the episode with Coach Tom Soroka. Tom, can you give me can you give me a quick rundown of like your strength sport career? Like uh, your journey. Which it's not quick, I know that, because I followed no, you yeah. from I've followed you since you were the original OG muscle driver. So yeah. So I mean, uh yeah. Quick rundown. Um, I was a uh, shot putter in college, multiple-time All-American uh, at Aurora University. Uh, got into the Highland Games with a guy named Terry Smith. I know uh, Terry. Yeah, uh, he. I I was sitting in the training room one day, and he was just like, "Hey, what are you doing this weekend?" I'm like, "Nothing." He goes, "You want to go to this thing with me?" I was like, "Yeah, sure, cool, whatever." So I threw it. A, it was a Chicago Highland Games at uh, Grant Park. Through there, uh, and have been was hooked on those. And then uh, 2012, I went out to Glen Pentley on California Strength to learn how to do the lifts because I was a throws coach and uh, a personal trainer at the time, and I just wanted to know how to do the snatch and the clean better. And he ended up inviting me out to Cal Strength full-time to train. Um, so I was there for six months, and then the team split and moved to MDUSA, and that's where most people know me from is MDUSA. Um, and then I was there till. December of 2015 uh, when I left the team and then uh, May 2016 I moved back to Chicago where I'm from originally uh, started a gym originally I, I uh, co-owned a CrossFit um, started getting back into the Highland Games and stuff like that like I did grid between weightlifting and the Highland Games um, just simply because they approached me and it looked like fun and it was 
uh, got back into the Highland games and stuff like that. And then um, end of 2000 or uh, uh, yeah, end of 2016, uh, sold my half of the CrossFit, started the strength agenda just so I could just focus on weightlifting, uh, coaching weightlifting and sports performance versus uh, doing CrossFit or coaching CrossFit on top of that. And around that same time, I got involved in Moss Wrestling. And then, you know, to the current state of where I'm at, I'm a high school uh, strength and conditioning coach. And uh, my two hobbies are, you know, Moss Wrestling and Highland Games. And I also have the the gym with the successful weightlifting team. And we have a sports performance program and all that. Awesome, man. Well, you summed that up really quickly. I'm, I'm impressed, sir. I'm impressed. Um, so let's, I guess let's go through, I want to delve through this kind of from the beginning and it's been yeah. fun. Like I remember looking up the OG strength agenda website, looking at food that you and your wife are putting up on there and meals and making some of those and stuff like that. But, uh, when did that all start? Was that muscle driver or was that even prior to muscle driver? Uh, so when we were at muscle driver, uh, muscle driver had a, um, we, we were stipend athletes, so everybody got a paycheck, essentially, but it wasn't like we were, like, you know, pro-athlete type right, money or anything like lavish. that. Like, yeah, I think it was, like, uh, my stipend was, like, 700 bucks a month, which was awesome. Um, it, it helped significantly with rent and stuff like that. So um, I was just looking for ways to create, you know, passive income, and uh, it was one of those things, like, I didn't want to take on, another, like, a... a a regular like nine to five type like on my feet all day job because that kind of defeated the purpose of training full time for uh the for for you know trying to make an olympic team or a world team or stuff like this i was just looking for something passively that i could do um and so i first started coaching weightlifting classes at crossfit because crossfit was really in their boom at that time that was like 2013 right. you know area um and so I had like four or five gyms in the area that on the weekends I would drive around to each of the CrossFits and coach like an hour, hour and a half long class, would start talking to people and stuff like that. Paleo was a big thing at that time. Um, and I didn't really understand paleo. Like I, I, I found some research and some literature on it and things like that. But like I didn't understand why rice was bad. I didn't understand why potatoes were bad. Uh, or white potatoes or yellow potatoes or whatever freaking color potatoes they banned were, you know, bad or whatever. And I would get these, like, bigger dudes that would show up to my classes and they would just be absolutely drained. And I'm like, you guys got to eat more. And they're like, well, there's no real like, good healthy recipes out there, blah, blah, blah. And I had heard about the site called If Big Eat Big. So I went and looked on their website. I'm like, I'm like, they've got to have recipes and stuff on there. You can't have Eat Big in there without some sort of a tutorial. And there really wasn't anything on there. So I was just like, like I'm no you know, underwear model here, but like I know how to eat to fuel training. And so it just started taking, you know, just it, you know, sat down, uh, um, created a website, created a concept, and it started out just once a week. We were posting recipes, and then from there, uh, started posting a, a training article here and there on top of the recipes and stuff like that, and then from there, started doing some interviews, and then it just kind of all just catapult or not catapulted, uh, snowballed um, to what we got going on now, and, and it was just like, uh, I'd have, I had a couple people reach out to me, ask if they wanted me to train them remotely. So I started doing that. So like I was able to pick up a little bit of passive income between like coaching people remotely while I was training. Um, and then on the weekends I would coach, you know, the CrossFit classes and stuff like that. And it just kind of just kept like building uh, uh, year after year to where we're currently at. 
Awesome, man. And uh, going back to kind of muscle driver, we'll start there. Yeah. Obviously, it was still the same coaching from the California muscle driver to what you had in Fort Mill, South Carolina. But I know your coaching staff evolved and whatnot. So what was your typical work, like training like? What did training look like on a weekly basis? And what were some of the things that were probably more emphasized in California? Than, and then how did things change as you guys got into South Carolina? Yeah, so plain and simple, the best way I've been able to describe California to people, California was the wild, wild west, like mm-hmm. literally. Um, you had uh, Donnie Schenkel, who was at the top of the ladder. Then you had John, who was a few rung, John North, who was a few rungs before him, or underneath him, sorry. Um, and then you had Spencer Mormon and Rob Blackwell, who were a couple rungs beneath him. And then there was everybody else. Um, like it just, that was just how it was. Like, uh, everybody used to give me a hard time because in my training videos, even when I was at MDUSA, I would only have green, blue, or, um, yellow plates on the bar. And I've explained multiple times, like the reason for that was cause like the first, one of the first training sessions I went to, uh, when I was at Cal strength, once I was finally moved out there and training with them and all that, I went to go grab a red plate to put it on the bar and Donnie like stood over me. He goes, you don't get to use those unless you're squatting. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And like, so I just, he, like, it was, it was just like a pecking order. Like you just like, you know, kind of like the you know, law of the jungle. Like it was just, you used what was left. Like, yeah. you know, the, the, the top dogs got the first pick and so on and so forth. And I was the newest guy there. So I used what was left. So I just literally would just make bars up with yellows, greens, and blues. Cause we had plenty of those. So, um, and Glenn was really, um, we didn't interact with Dave as much. Like Dave is a very big part of Cal strength. Now he wasn't there as much. Like he kind of ran more of the behind the scenes stuff. He did the combine prep with the athletes when I was there, but like I interacted with Dave probably more than anybody because I was also coaching throwers at his alma mater high school. Oh, okay. So he just he just wanted to make sure I wasn't embarrassing him essentially like <laughs> and all that, but like that was I interacted with him a lot on the throws side of things because he was a collegiate thrower at USC, so we had that in common and he liked how I coached and he liked my style of coaching throwers and stuff like that. So he and I just we kind of connected on that, but like out in the weightlifting realm of things, like we really didn't talk too much. Every once in a while, if I'm sitting there pouting in the ice tub, he would come in and give me a hard time and talk to me a little bit. But for the most part, Glenn was the guy that we dealt with mostly with our, our weightlifting. And then once when we moved to South Carolina, Glenn was, we didn't know at the time what it ha- how the whole thing like had really happened was we didn't know that Glenn had ownership stake in Muscle Driver. Mm -hmm. We thought at first Muscle Driver was just this company that had nothing to do with fitness at all and was just buying a weightlifting team. Gotcha. Like that's really what we thought was happening. So then once we got there, we actually realized what the situation was. And Glenn had um, a small percentage of ownership of the company. Uh, A guy named Brad Hess was actually the head honcho. Um, And what had happened was he had a marketing budget that he was giving to Cal Strength, but he didn't have as much control as he wanted. So he wanted to have a little bit more control, have a little bit more say in how the weightlifting team was ran and managed and stuff like that since it was his money, which makes sense. Absolutely. And so he just decided, he's like, Glenn, I'm going to pay you X amount of money to bring you back to South Carolina. So he's like, bring whoever you want. This is what we're going to do sort of a deal. So me, John, Kevin and Jess, um, and Donnie, uh, all left 
and came uh, and came to uh, South Carolina, and then you know Caleb Whitby met us out here, and then we just added you know Travis and James and Sean Taylor, Becca, all those Ariel, all those people. We started just slowly adding, you know, every couple months and stuff like that. And MDUSA was a lot more structured. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody with that that was training there was on stipend, and if you didn't have a stipend, you were working like hell to get your hands on one. Um, and then they after a while, uh, when Glenn's health started to really um, affect him they brought don on uh travis mash was a coach with us for a while and then after i left they brought chris wilkes on so he was a coach there for a while as well um but the structure of the training so both at cal strength and at mdusa we trained nine times a week and um what it was we had double sessions um we trained at uh 9 or 10 a.m on monday wednesday friday morning and then we trained again at like four um monday wednesday friday uh, 4 p.m. and then Tuesday and Thursdays we would get in there around like 10 or 11 to get our training in and then Saturdays was like 9 10 o'clock in the morning and each session anywhere from like an hour and a half to two two and a half hours um, every once in a while if we were in the middle of like a, a higher volume types thing like it would take us about three hours to get training done and stuff like that but it was a lot um, and Multiple times I had asked Glenn, like, why we train so much and stuff like that. And essentially his answer was, you know, most countries get these their kids when they're like 13, 14, 15 years old. And they have all this time to build them up. He goes, I am getting athletes when they're 23, 24, 25, 26. Like, I don't have as much time. So I've got to kind of cram and get as much work in as I can to see, you know, who can make it. And it was kind of a butcher shop. Like, you saw a lot of people. Like, you could tell three months in whether people were going to last or not. Right. Um, Because it was just so brutal, both mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, it was like... A lot of pe- people now that do double sessions, like they'll balance it all out and everything like that and do their strength work in the morning and then come back and do their main li- – no, we're, we're snatching and cleaning and jerking almost every session um, or doing some, some variation of it. And now, like I will say, we weren't like maxing out every session, but like some mornings we'd come in and you'd have to hit 80% in both lifts or a variation of the lifts or something like that plus a squat. And then you'd come back in the afternoon and you would hit both lifts, um, a heavy variation, plus maybe another squat or a pull or something like that. And then on the second day was um, uh, what we call like an assistance variation. So like no hook, no feats, powers, um, muscles, stuff like that. And then like push presses, your accessories and things like that. And then Saturday was our heavy squat day. That was all we did like Friday. Max out Friday was a thing. Um, anybody that wants to argue with me, that came from Cal Strength when Glenn was there. <laughs> it didn't come from anybody else. They all took it and made it their own thing. But the original like Max Out Friday thing was Cal Strength. They used to live stream those workouts. Mm-hmm. There would be money on the line. Yep. Um, and it was literally Glenn was like, "You have to beat this number. Whoever beats their their number by the biggest amount." is yeah. who wins kind of a deal. There was also, there were all sorts of different competitions and stuff like that. Like one of them, we had like percentage lifts and you had to hit a certain number of lifts at a percentage and mm-hmm. things like that. Like there was all sorts of things, but for anybody that wants to debate it, the original max out Friday stuff started at Cal strength, even before I got there. Like I can't even sit there and say I was there when it started. Like it was, they were doing that before I even showed up. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so Friday, 
afternoon session was always our heaviest training session of the week. And then we'd come in Saturday morning. We would just do squats, um, some accessory work, and like any presses and stuff like that. Do you – and this – I actually got sent this question. Uh, they texted me instead of uh, actually – Not following directions. On, on – well, it had to be because it was a conversation. But uh, you know the guy. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Derek Sellis. Shout out, Derek. Yeah. Uh, Derek oh, said, do you miss training at Muscle Driver? I do. Uh, I've actually, I've talked to, you know, I, I, I've talked to people about it quite often, mm-hmm. um, especially now. You get a lot of time to talk and not a lot of time to <laughs> train. Um, I do miss it. I miss, most importantly, I miss the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, because of the people that we had around the problem that I see with a lot of gyms, my own gym is even this way is there's nonstop talk throughout training. Um, there's shenanigans that happen all the time. Um, it's a community for people. I think primarily we have CrossFit to blame for that, but that's okay. Like if that is somebody's release, like, Good on you. The thing that was different about MDUSA was, and anybody that was there will tell you the same thing: is yes, we goofed around. Yes, we you know played a lot of grab ass. We would mess with each other. We would talk smack and stuff like that. But when it was time to work, it was time to work, and everybody was focused. And like the only conversation, like you weren't yelling across the gym to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, like. The, the, the only conversations that were going on were the people that were training on your platform. So like me, for instance, I Caleb Whitby and I, for the longest time, shared a platform together. I mean, it was only him and I, so we would only talk to each other, really, until training was over. And then we would talk to other guys and stuff like that. When Sean and I shared a platform, it was the same thing. Sean and I would talk shit to each other. We would, you know, whatever. And But like when training was over, then we'd still go, go start talking to other people people on other platforms and stuff like it was it, it was just a different ad at any time you had six to 12 people that literally gave up what they were doing uprooted everything to come to a central location because we all had the same goal and the goal was to make an olympic team and we all were not naive and being like this whole gym is going to make the olympics like we all knew out of everybody here like one person might make it. And that's exactly what happened. Like of all the great athletes that we had at MDUSA, Morgan King is the only one that made an Olympic team. And her formative years, uh, her formative years were spent at MDUSA, but like her, her fine tuning wasn't done at MDUSA. So like they can claim her all they want, but she, the OTCs got what got her to the Olympics. So anyways, but that was my whole point was like, we had a lot of like Travis Cooper is a phenomenal athlete and he's still competing at a very high level, but like he never made the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just, it was just that hard of a goal to accomplish. But I, when I decided to move out to Cal strength and, and take Len up on his offer and then go to MDUSA, like I told myself, it was kind of a changing point for me because I wanted, I, I told myself that I never wanted to say what if, I'd rather say, oh, well. Oh, I love that. So, and that was, that, and that's how I've been trying to operate this entire time. When I take opportunities to do stuff or I'm presented with a chance to do something, I'll be like, you know what, it's better to say, oh, well, than what if. And so, 
I didn't want to sit there and think the rest of my life of what could have happened being at MDUSA, being at Cal Strength and all that. I was just like, you know what, we're going to do it. And if it doesn't work out, like I'll figure that part out when it, when that time comes. It's a little reckless. It's a little selfish. I'm going to 100% admit that. But like I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. Hey, you only got one life to, to, right. to do, have those chances to right, take. Right, right. Um, so with the sport of weightlifting, it's a very individual sport. And obviously, muscle driver. You, you now see there are some, not as big as I would I expected, but it's growing. But there are some yeah. team environments. How important do you feel like a team environment is in a strength sport like weightlifting, or do you think it compares to any of the others that you've competed in? Uh, zero. Wow. Okay. Can you explain um, that for me? Yeah. So here's the thing: there are no team championships. In weightlifting, yes, you get scored at a t- as a team at Worlds and stuff like that. But the people aren't trying to make Team USA to say, "I want to win the team championship." That's not why they're on the team. Like they're on the team because they're trying to get them now. They're trying to get themselves Roby points so they can make the Olympics or be in the contention for the Olympics, or they're trying to medal in some session or things like that. I think it just goes back to the community thing. I think we have other sports to blame for that. I will be the first to also say I have a very successful women's masters team. Mm-hmm. We won. We won. You know the national title last year at Masters Nationals, um, and that was a phenomenal experience. I was beyond proud of the girls. I'm not taking that away from them at all. But at the end of the day, it it's just another accomplishment. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. there you, you can like it, if if we wouldn't have won the team title, I wouldn't have been I, I would have been bummed for the athletes. But me, like me personally, I wouldn't have lost too much sleep over yeah. it. You know, it was my goal was I took 13 athletes to that competition and my goal was for each of those 13 athletes to the perform to the best of their abilities. Okay. Like, um, let me, let me intersect there. Yeah. Maybe I, I get exactly the way that you answer that question. I must say, ask that question wrong. Yeah. How important was the team environment? Like you training at muscle driver. Oh, to yeah, your it success? was, it, and do we need to see more of that? And how can we see more of that growing going forward in different so, strength sports? So, yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. I thought you were talking about like in terms of the competition side of things, <laughs> no, it's an individual sport. Um, training wise, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I have found out for myself that I can make just as much progress without people around okay. than I can with people out. What a team for training, um, a, 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 what a team for training helps you with is those days where you just don't want to do anything mm-hmm. where like you or don't want to go to the gym at all. You've been sitting there for 15 minutes with your shoes on the ground in front of you, like waiting to put them on. Um, you've done like five extra sets of warm ups with the bar mm-hmm. because you're just like waiting for the body to finally be ready to go. Kind of a thing. A, a, a team helps with that. Um, I mean, there are multiple times where I just didn't feel like doing anything, and all it took was James 
running his mouth a little bit or Mike saying something to me um, and being like, bet you can't do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, all right, listen, like, leave me alone. Like, and I go and do it and like walk away. But then I was like, well, I got training it, you know, like it was just one of those things Like it helped in that sense. And it also helped, it helps to have like-minded people around um, when on the, on the rough days because you realize you're not the only one going through those. So you have people to talk to, you have those soundboards and stuff like that. Um, for those things, the training is, you know, uh, having a team environment and stuff like that is, is very helpful in terms of how we can see more of it. That's a tough question because it's individual, it's individual based on what they need. So like, for instance, I know some people who, they like I have a gentleman in my gym that if he doesn't have people lifting numbers around what he lifts, um, it doesn't matter whether it's a great training session and everybody's smashing lifts. Like if he doesn't have somebody to like physically push him on some days, it doesn't do anything for him. And then I have other lifters where just being around other people crushing their lifts is enough to get them all amped up. And then I have other athletes who watching everybody get all amped up for everybody else hitting lifts annoys the crap out of them. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's a weird dynamic. And I think the, 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 the thing for people that run weightlifting specific gyms or weightlifting teams and stuff like that, the need to find that balance is collecting too many of one or the other. I'm trying to get that balance because not everybody coming to you is looking for a max out Friday type atmosphere, right. but not everybody that's coming to you is looking for a, you know, 1980s European training hall vibe with like no sound whatsoever, <laughs> except for the bars dropping. So it's, it, it, it's a little bit of, you know, it's, it's six and one half dozen of the other. Like it helps on those days that like you need a little bit of a pickup, but for some people it can actually do more harm than good in terms of just like distractions and stuff going on. What uh, kind of wrap up your weightlifting segment? What yeah. um, what were your best numbers? I guess let's say competitive numbers. Uh, so I was not a good competition lifter. Right, I was actually let's also yeah. good gym numbers. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> no, I just, I just, I, it was just one of those like the way I, the way we peaked and the way we trained and stuff like that. I always hit some of my best lifts like a week or two out from a competition. And then at a meet, I would hit like 95, 94%. Like I never, I've never gone six for six in a meet or anything like that. So my best training, um, clean and jerk is 202, um, 202, 202 kilos. That's 445 pounds. Um, I've cleaned 210 off the blocks, which is 462. I've jerked 210, um, off the rack, which is 462. Um, my best snatch that I've done is 154 off the blocks. I can't remember what that is in uh, pounds. Um, and my best snatch off the floor is 152, uh, which is 335 pounds. Now, in a competition, I believe my best snatch is 148 kilos. Mm-hmm. So that's like 327 around there, something like that, 326. And then my best uh, uh, clean and jerk in a competition is 200 kilos, which is 440 pounds. So I'm not like that far off, but I I hit bigger lifts and I was more consistent in training um, at those with those bigger lifts than I was. in a competition. And what about like uh, any, do you have any freaky, like I know you can squat pretty well. So what was your best squat or do you have any like off the cuff, weird freaky lifts that you were really good at or various? Muscle, 
uh, muscle snatches and behind the neck push press. Those were hands down like the two things that like, for some reason I was really good at, like I can do, um, with no body contact, I can do a one ten uh, one ten triple. Um, there's a video of Glenn daring me to do a double with no contact in training one time. Um, I just recently did a one ten triple with no contact. Um, my best, I've done a one twenty, uh, uh, so a two sixty four, uh, triple on the muscle snatch um, with contact. That's my best, and then my best uh, single is like one twenty eight. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, I could. Uh, <laughs> It, it makes no sense to me because at the time I was really good. Like I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm back into the group of being good at them. But like there was a period of time when I was training at MDUSA where like I could probably muscle snatch a lift with more. Like there was more. It was more of a sure thing I would muscle snatch it than I would actually snatch it. Like I couldn't explain it. Whatever. And then push press. Um, uh, Glenn used to make fun of me. I actually push pressed 400 pounds before I hit uh, hit it on a jerk. Oh wow! I think and I've we heard were, you say that before. Yeah, we were doing a, a a complex one day where we were doing jerks plus or push press plus jerk. It was two push presses and a jerk, and I was working up on the exercise with Donnie, and I made two push presses at one seventy, and I missed the jerk, <laughs> and both Donnie and Glenn ripped me a new one. Like I lived with them at the time, so oh, like God. I didn't. I didn't hear the end of it until we got back to training the next day. Like it was, it was like a Wednesday night training that I did that. They were so mad at me. Like they just wouldn't let it go until we got back to training the next day. There's a, but, yeah. you're a coach and this is a, this is a, I just thought of this. That's a, that leads yeah. me to a really good question. So if you missed a 170 push press dog, so you had two push presses and a jerk and you missed yeah. that, were you allowed to retake that? No, no. So why yeah, we, what's why not? And then if you were coaching someone, would you allow them to or not? And what's what's the reasoning behind that? So the big reason was um, because I I missed the jerk, so I had to clean it in order to like it was, we we're doing it out of the racks and stuff like that. Uh, okay. And 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 the whole purpose of the complex is like yes, I probably could have taken it, put it in the rack, and like done it again. But the purpose of that drill was to tire your arms out so you use the legs. So any and, and and it was constant lower. Like we didn't we didn't we weren't just dropping it back onto the blocks and then re-racking it. Like we were we were lowering it back down to our front rack, doing the push press, lowering it, and then doing the jerk. So it was just one of those things where it kind of defeated the purpose of the lift. It it depends on what like if if I was coaching people in that same um lift and that was the goal i wouldn't let them like put it in the rack and then take the jerk again to make it and be like that counts like no it doesn't count like the the complex was written two plus one you miss the one so you only got the two um so it just depends on what the goal is but like that one in particular like it was just the the purpose of that exercise was to get me to not use my arms in the jerk and that's exactly what i did and why i missed it (laughs) yeah um well, let's let's kind of move along. Uh, I'm gonna kind of pass over Grid. Um, That's Grid fine. Is, I watched you compete actually once in South Carolina because a buddy of mine went to uh, do the tryout at the same time, I believe. Oh, nice, um, nice. So that was cool. It was cool. Like I actually saw it all firsthand how it all worked. But uh, we'll kind of pa- bypass Grid. Uh, That's fine. A little bit. It was really short lived. And yeah. 
yeah, let's. I want to get into Highland. I want to have some time to get into Highland Games and Mosh. Sure. So, yeah. You had originally said you got into Highland Games before weightlifting. What was that yep. like there? And then how have you come full circle back to it now? Um, essentially speaking, so when I was in college, I like I said, I was a shot putter. I threw weight. I threw hammer. I threw discus. I was terrible at discus. Um, I was mediocre at best when it came to hammer. Weight and shot were my two best events. And um, Terry Smith was our athletic trainer at Aurora University. Um, and he Shout would kind out of, Aurora. I've got a kid uh, that I coach that's going to play football there next year. Good. He's uh, their, their football team. I'll tell you what right now. Um, I was very skeptical of hiring a high school football coach to take over the program. But like last year, dude, they they tore it up. Like they their their quarterback was their like whatever division three's version of the Heisman. He was a finalist for that award. They averaged something ridiculous, like fifty something points a game. Um, like it was they they just they just lit people up. Um, and it was I I, I I saw some highlights. I wanted to try and get, get get out and go to a couple games last year, but I didn't get a chance to. But like I mean, they're beating people like seventy to. 15 and stuff like that like they were just whipping people and then they ended up running into a team that was um the first round of the playoffs that was more experienced and can score as much as they did so it's just like whoever they ended up losing i think um by like a, a score or two and it was just whoever had the ball first or had the ball last so yeah i that he'll he'll enjoy it out there um oh. it's at least gonna be it's at least gonna be fun to watch if he's not playing um <laughs> But yeah, so he was our head athletic trainer and he would come out because we would throw, we had a, they put in a shot put ring right by one of the parking lots for us um, because our throwers were at the time are some of our more successful athletes at the school. So they're trying to help us out, giving us some facilities to practice because otherwise we'd have to drive over to a high school to practice. And our one guy, Adrian, um, he couldn't throw discus there um, because... Yeah, it was just too short. Like the discus would land, bounce up onto, and, and go up onto the street, mm-hmm. and uh, we just didn't want to mess with that. And then uh, me with hammer, like I said, I was a mediocre hammer thrower, but um, the field only went to 180, and I was like a 170, 175, you know, foot hammer thrower. So it's just one of those things, like a bounce or a weird trajectory, and I could be hitting somebody or cars or something like that. So we just didn't want to mess with it. So they were very kind and put two rings in for us to throw in and he would come over with his Highland game stuff and he would just throw with us cause he's never had anybody to throw with and stuff like that. And I started talking to him a little bit like the Scottish hammer intrigued me. Um, like I was just like that. It looks way more fun than the one I'm throwing. Like, why can't I use that? Like, like <laughs> it was just one of those deals. Like, so I, I, I would talk to him and all that stuff. And then going into, um, I played football one year. Uh, and then I decided I didn't like it. I actually uh, hurt my ankle this track season before. So during the fall, I was doing some of my rehab PT stuff in the training room with him. And he was just like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, oh, you know, nothing, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you want to go to a Highland Games with me? And I was like, sure, why not? So I ended up going to, you know, uh, like I said, Grant Park. Um, really famous park here in Chicago. They were hosting a, a Celtic festival in September. I went down there uh, through. Um, I met like Red Bob Zine, uh, Jason Clevenger, uh, Kevin Neese, Jeff Armstrong, a lot of the Chicago area guys. 
had a blast doing it. And I was just like, hey, how do I do more of these? And so he told me about Nazga, which at the time was like the thing. Um, <laughs> Don't age yourself there, Tom. <laughs> right, right, right. Like that, that, well, that was the only place you could find information at the time yeah. was Nazga. Facebook wasn't a thing yet. Or Facebook had just started. Yeah. But it was only for college kids. Like mm-hmm. adults couldn't be on it and all that. Anyways. Um, so like I started looking up when all these competitions were, started talking to people, started finding, you know, people to trade. And it's actually funny, that competition, um, the worst event that I did was caber, because I had never seen a caber before. Um, so it was just one of those things where turn that off. Um uh, when it came to caber, I was just like, okay, like I, I should be able to do this. I know how to do high poles and all that stuff. I couldn't pick the thing. And the one time I did pick the thing, like my hands were off. Like most amateur people, when they first time they touch a caber. So then that next week, I got a call from Kevin, um, uh, Kevin Neese and Terry Smith, and they said, hey, meet us at this park. Uh, we're gonna go get some throwing in. I was like, all right, cool, sure. So we get there to the park, and all that's sitting out in the field are just a bunch of cavers. And I'm like, hey, what are we doing? I'm like, I thought we're gonna practice. And Terry goes, your caver was embarrassing. Like, we're not leaving here until so you figure it out. <laughs> and so I literally, for four hours straight, was like trying to figure out. They were trying to help me, and and I literally practiced caver for like four hours. And I finally got it. And since that games, I've I have not I've never missed a caver. Um, so it was just one of those, because everybody always asks me, like, oh, how, how did you get so good at cavers? Like, how often do you practice? Because now it's funny to me that that's my best event yeah. out of all the events. There like, you go. That, that's the one event that I, like, am 100% sure, like, I'm going to have no problems in. And they're like, well, how, do you, how did you get so good? Like, I don't practice caber. I just, I had that one session. And every time, like, I start having a rough day in caber, I'm like, don't embarrass niece or don't embarrass Terry. Like, <laughs> and so it just kind of helps out. But um, I, I really enjoyed the Highland Games. It was just, it was a fun competitive outlet and i was using it at the time as off-season training for track and field and i actually got better with my technique um, in track and field doing the highland games because i was a terrible off-season thrower um i would not throw in the off-season i just wanted to spend all my time in the gym Mm -hmm. um i didn't want to do any reps with the weights or off weight implements or anything like that like we were supposed to be doing i just wanted to lift 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 so like the highland games forced me to throw and they were off weight implements we had the 56 the 28 the stones were never the same you had the heavy hammer the light hammer wob all that stuff so like did you there was this it it was funny because there was a significant change from my sophomore year to my junior year and my junior year is where I got all my all Americans. So it was just, and the, the biggest thing I can contribute is like, I just was throwing more period um, on top of all the lifting and stuff like that. Like the lifting hadn't itself hadn't changed that much. It was just the volume of throwing that I had put in leading up to that um, track season was just significantly more. Mm-hmm. Now, how would you say you structure your training now since well, if you take Moss wrestling out, how yeah. do you approach the Highland Games now? Fast I forward st- a few years. I, st- I still do the same for both. Mm-hmm. Um, Moss wrestling. It, when it comes to like the only thing that changes about Moss wrestling is you just need more practice with the actual Moss wrestling portion of it. So like Moss wrestling just replaces one of my pulling days. Okay. Um, so I follow a very conjugate based program. I, Terry got me into it when I was at Aurora. Um, we. It was actually kind of funny. That was conjugate esque was the way Glenn um, 
described his training. Like we had our heavy days, we had our speed days, which were like no hook, no feed powers, um, stuff like that. Um, and then we had like repetition days, which was our Saturdays where we just did like higher volume on squats and presses and stuff like that. He didn't like flat out say it was that way, but like I was a very, I was very good at like picking out patterns and I noticed the patterns after weeks of doing it. So I could figure out what we were going to do, you know, the following week and things along those lines. So it's just one of those deals where, um, conjugate has always just been something that I've kind of done. Um, that I'm comfortable with. I know how it works really well. So that was how I structured my training for the Highland Games. Um, off season, I would do a little bit more repetition work, like just building a base, submaximal lifting, like five, three, one type stuff, just getting a ton of reps in at like lower percentages and stuff like that, just building as big a base as possible. And then what I would call like my preseason stuff, which would be about I don't know, uh, maybe two, three months out, I would get more into a strict conjugate where I'm using all sorts of different variations of lifts, um, uh, including bands and chains on the slow, or what I consider the slower lifts, like the pressing, the squatting, and the deadlifting. Cleans and snatches, do not put bands or chains on them. Um, but uh, I would incorporate, you know, the accommodating resistance on there. I actually, as I've gotten older, I've, I do more accommodating resistance on the slower lifts than without simply because um, I call I, I, I call it ego checking, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to bands and stuff like that. Like if you put enough band tension on a bar, like a it's going to allow you to lift to maximum intensity, but you're not going to be lifting close to your max all the time. Right. So it's kind of gives you that feedback without like really destroying your central nervous system. It allows you to come back, you know, throughout the week and, and do it again if you had to. Um, and it also has helped me tremendously with my technique. Um, like if, if I'm the slightest bit out of position, like the bands get 10 times harder than they would have been. So it just forces me to stay in good position, stay in good technique and stuff like that. And just keeps my injuries a lot lower because I'm not pushing heavy lifts with straight bar weight all the time. Um, and I'm not just like grinding through lifts that are out of position that can like lead to injury and stuff like that. So during my preseason, I structure it a little bit more to like max effort days, dynamic effort days, repetition days and stuff like that. And then once I'm in the season, um, Bonder Chuck actually posted this article a long time ago, like probably before I was even in college and stuff like that. And pretty much was like saying that for like the Highland games in particular, because he got asked, how would you structure Highland? He was like talking about in season, like two, two days a week of training. And he would say, and he pretty much was like focused on like the push press and sumo deadlift essentially. And so those are the two main lifts that I focus on. I'll throw cleans or muscle snatches or something like, or like high pulls in there as well. instead of sumo deadlifts, if I'm just not feeling the deadlifts and stuff like that. But, um, once I'm like starting to get right before the season, about a month before the season kicks off. And then during the season, I, I only train like one or two times a week at best or, and, and most of the other time is spent throwing and stuff like that. So I don't know if that necessarily yeah, answers absolutely. absolutely. And it's interesting to hear uh, the bonder checks off. I've always wanted to delve into it and just not put the time in. I've, it's it's probably the next – I've always wanted to retransfer training. I've never read it. And it's, it, I've, got it's a, I've got it sitting right here. I've got not nice. transfer training, but i got a book yeah. on Cooler that I'm yeah. going to read. That's for CEUs. Um, yeah. So I've got that one, and then I want to do transfer trainings. Actually, I've, I've already got it. But um, yeah. it's funny you say sumo deadlift because my brother, anecdotally, so Garrett's obviously a very yeah. good Highland Games thrower, as anecdotally said, his sumo deadlift is something he feels 
correlates to his wob and you know yep. it's not the same yep. foot stance but um it's one that he likes to continue to push heavy all the time yeah i like i like sumo deadlifts for any type of athlete i really do i understand like powerlifters like who's cheating whatever bite me uh put your conventional pr on the bar and sumo deadlift it and then tell me it's cheating um but <laughs> it's one of those things where there's more hip involvement yeah. in the lift and and the other thing too is like yes the stance like you were just talking about like the stance doesn't carry over exactly how you would in any sort of there's no athletic stance that you're doing that you are standing sumo but training that extra wide position um it just it, it just helps like it helps with the groin uh it helps with your core helps with your hips getting your hamstrings getting everything the big thing i like about um box squats and sumo deadlifts is they're the only two movements I've been able to find that you can load the hamstrings with more than your snatch or clean loads without requiring that knee to come forward. You know how you're talking about like that, that shin angle being like nice and perpendicular. I have not been able to find another lift. Um, and Jack Canberra, uh, the guy that runs 50 barbell, I don't know if you've ever seen his stuff on Instagram and stuff like that. He was the one that kind of helped me out a lot with understanding that, that, you know, like the, the, the hamstrings, are a big like misutilized muscle or a, you know a muscle group when it comes to athletics in particular a lot yeah. of knee injuries can be prevented from in and so box squats and sumo deadlifts are two lifts that you can completely load the hamstring while keeping that 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 shin angle at you know perpendicular to the ground and you can load it with uh, weights that are significantly higher than like your clean or your snatch. So, um, yeah, if I had to pick one or the other, I would definitely go sumo deadlifts over uh, box squats simply because you are getting more of your body involved in the lift and things like that. But yeah, I agree with Garrett hundred percent. Like when I was doing strict, like heavy sumo work, um, my wob was doing a lot better. My sheaf was doing a lot better. Uh, caber was like every caber last year, like there wasn't a caber that I, I got my hands on that felt heavy and I, I attribute it to doing a lot of that stuff. Um, what do you think, or, or you kind of talked about training. So what, what do you throw in terms of like how much throwing volume, you know, when you say like, Oh, I go out in a practice, how much volume do you do? We've talked a lot about lifting. What's like your throwing yeah. training. Like obviously you said in seasons more than off season yeah. um, in terms of frequency, but what, yeah. what do you look at? Do you ever track your volumes and stuff like that with that? I actually had a really good conversation. Zach Riley and I were talking about that yesterday um, because he and I are in agreement that a lot of newer throwers to the Highland games, um, they want to just throw, 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 but they don't have necessarily the base built up to handle all that throwing and they get about halfway through the season and their body just starts to break down. And I actually had that happen to me the first season, my first two seasons in the Highland games, because I was trying to do too much other stuff like between running the business and being all over the place. I wasn't consistent in my training and I got around like end of July and like my body just started to like, no, like distances started to drop off drastically. Um, that happened, that, 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 terribly uh uh happened my first season that i went pro like mm -hmm. i ended up getting invited to go pro like in august of an of a season so i threw the first half of the year as an amateur through pretty well um like i was getting close to like i hit some all-time prs was getting close to all-time prs and other events and stuff like that and then august came around and i could not get anything going to save my soul 
And it was just one of those deals where it's just like if I don't have that base built up, I can't get the number of throws in training that I need to get and I can't get the results that I need. And so when it comes to like throwing volume, I get a lot more volume in than a lot of other guys do. And um, But I do it in regards to Bondarchuk's principles. Um, he's very big on a concept called range throwing. And essentially what he does is he takes um, – and, and I've done this with track and field athletes and stuff like that, and I've had a lot of success with it, and then I've had success with it in my own training. And what he does is he'll take a cone, and he'll put a cone out at 80 and 90% of your best. And the goal is to get all your throws within that range. Um, and if you have to try to – if you have to try really hard to get into the low end of that range um, – you need to back off whether it's weightlifting whether it's volumes things along those lines when if you're able to get to the upper end of that range or outside that range with very little effort that means you're about to hit a, a peak or you're about to hit a, a big throw in that event or whatever so training my throws that way um I'm actually able to get quite a bit of volume in like I was talking to a couple of guys last year on the pro circuit that they're excuse me, they're only able to get like 10 or 15 throws total in like a session for like per an event or anything like that. And like I, I, I'm able to get anywhere from, you know, 30 to 40 and on a good day, if I've got a, if I have, if I schedule an extra day at rest and I can get about 50 throws in, um, in my volume and stuff like that. And I don't feel like super taxed after the fact, like I'm not dying, like I'm not like gassed or anything like that. And they're all able to stay in my range. I only pick about two or three events depending on the day. Um, usually if it's a three event day, there's a height event thrown in there just because I have it right there and I might as well just take a couple poles with it and stuff like that. Obviously the height events are harder to do the range stuff. Because you can't sit there and put two like little sticks at you know 80, 90 percent up in the air and be like, here you go. Um, so for me, Wob is my worst event, hands down. Yep, um, so I, so I just try I just try to work on positions and getting a feel and getting the rhythm down. Um, I'm not sitting there trying just trying to throw the thing as high as I can. Um, and then, uh, but all the other events, I follow that range throwing. So it helps me out a lot, being able to get a ton of volume in. And so I'll just pick, and I alternate events as well. So like if I'm throwing, you know, stone, like open stone or whatever, um, which I usually just throw like uh, usually an underweight shot, about 14 and a half, 15 pounds, um, I'll throw like heavyweight with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or I'll throw like light hammer and heavyweight or heavy hammer and lightweight. Or, and um, I don't practice Braemar. Um, I just have not needed to. Um, I can throw, you know, high 30s, uh, low 40s on any given day in the Braemar. So, like, I really just don't practice that one too much. Sheaf, I only practice because I, if I don't practice, um, the pop is there. It's just I can't guarantee what direction it's going to go. So, Sheaf, I'm more just practicing that consistency of going straight up, straight down. Wob, we've already talked about. And then Kaber, I don't, I, I have not practiced Kaber um, since 2000. Yeah. Eight. I don't think I have either. And part of that is you can't really practice caber on your own. Yes. If you can, it's a really big pain in the ass. Like, yeah, to try I to built, stand it up and not oh, go everywhere. Oh, I, I built a caber um, yeah. and, and tried practicing on my own. And I got, like, two, like, t- like tosses in, and I was like, now we're good. <laughs> uh, it's one of those, and I've told people myself, that once you figure out caber, you don't really have to go back and uh, no. practice that one anymore. You just... Once you once it clicks, it kind of clicks, and then it's just 
um, explosiveness. And, and I actually hit a little slump. Caber's one of my better events, and I hit a slump. And when I, f- I figured out in a games, I was like, I went back and I told myself, I was like, pull fast. Like, I yeah. was like, instead of, I was trying to deadlift it, not snatch it. And just like yeah. the idea of flipping that switch, I, yeah. I don't think I've, there's maybe been one K where I haven't turned since. Two, yeah. maybe. I can't remember now. Yeah. Those the telephone biggest... poles things they have at the Arnold, and then we used them in Illinois. I did a games up there. They're weird. I, I have not figured those out yet. Oh, see, I want, like, I was really bummed. Uh, um, I was at the Arnold this year, um, and Merle was showing me, like, he's got a new one, and he's like, do you want to toss it? I was like, I'll have to do it after I'm done with Moss or whatever. And so he was just like, okay, okay. And I went over there, and they had already... put them away i'm like all right fine whatever though they they look interesting for sure um for me when it comes to caber my issue is uh, uh throwing out um versus like throwing up into the body and that's when i when i'm pulling that thing nice and high and tied up into my body um case in point is, and it's funny um that video that i a bunch of my lifters apparently the, the a video of me turning the caber at wisconsin that real big cigar looking stick um Heaviest caber I've ever touched. Um, I know there are heavier out there, but that one was a bear. The sec that was the first day of throwing it, and if you watch that video, I didn't hit it all that clean. Um, I threw it way out in front of me, and I just caught a lucky bounce where it hit and bounced, and then stood, and then just had enough momentum to go over. The next day, because we throw that, we throw two days in a row there, and we throw the same caber both days. The next day, I hit a twelve o'clock on that throw like nothing. Um, and it was because I pulled it like straight up and everything like that. And it just flipped right over. And that was Luke and, uh, Jeff Cass were giving me a hard time. They're like, why did you make it look so easy on Sunday? And you struggled so much on Saturday. I'm like, well, cause I was like, I, my technique like was off on Saturday. It was my first time, you know, touching it or whatever. So that's my big issue when it comes to, um, the cavers. If I let it get away from me and I try throwing it out in front of me and coincidentally, that's how I used to miss all my snatches as well. If I would hit the bar way out in front yeah. of me. Away. Versus oh, that's keeping tights. Yeah. So, so we got another listener question. Comes from the go. same person, uh, Derek oh, oh. Sellis. And so actually, this is a good good way that you mention it. How has weightlifting helped you in the Highland Games? Weightlifting exposed why I was bad at certain events. Like um, in particular, my hips. Um, once I realized that the hips are supposed to be an uppercut on the bar and not a battering ram. Um, my wob got infinitely better and that's not saying much because like before weightlifting, I was maybe like a 14, you know, foot, you know, wob, uh, guy on a consistent basis after that, um, I could get to 15, no problem. Um, and it was just that consistency of not looping everything way out away from me and actually just keeping everything tight and, and more vertical in my extension. It also helped with a lot of my hammer um, as well. Um, just staying – just the biggest thing that, like weightlifting helped me with was being more vertical in my extension. I was always more horizontal for some reason. Like I just – I thought that's how you did it. And once I actually figured that out and was able to work on that, like all my other my, – my, my extension on my throws got more efficient. Like I, I didn't feel like I was wasting so much energy trying to like finish a throw or anything along those lines. And it also helped like just giving me a little bit more overall pop on a regular basis. Okay. Um, how has now let's, let's shift gears. Last, yeah. last one we're going to cover is Moss wrestling, which yeah. um, most people probably don't know what the hell that is. 
Um, unfortunately, I've actually competed in Moss once. I'm, I've yeah. got my belt under. There you uh, go. Well, I got thrown over the board by Mike Neese once. Nice. Um, but uh, it was fun. Uh, I've done it once. How would you explain it to the person that's never seen it? And then, you know, how can we grow that sport? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Chad um, Clark is how you grow that sport. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, the best way to describe it is you're trying to pull a max effort deadlift on a bar. But at the same time, somebody else is on the other end of that bar trying to pull the same max effort deadlift. Um, it's just essentially there's a, a, a wooden plank in between two athletes. Their feet have to stay on the board. There's a stick that is put between the two of you, has to start evenly like a tug of war. And the guy who can either pull the other guy over the board or pull the stick out of their hand is the winner. And it's a best of, best out of three. Um, so how'd you get into this? Oh, my, by accident. A hundred percent by accident. I got, so Ode Haugen was running a strength weekend in Chicago at uh, the Fit Expo. One day was Strongman, one day was Moss Wrestling. I signed up for the Strongman because I was just looking for something. Like, I didn't have any Highland games. I was looking for something to do. And I showed up on the, um, and Ode's like, well, Strongman was the other day. Like, if you want to do Highland games, or uh, uh, Moss Wrestling, um, you can do mass wrestling. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, and I, it was like an all, all around or round robin tournament. Um, there were only like two or three weight classes or whatever. So I competed and I, I took second to a guy named Euless Payne, who, if you've ever seen him, uh, uh, he is the, one of the largest humans I've ever met in my life. Like just really nice guy. Oh yeah. Gen- sweet guy, genuine human being, but he is just scary looking. And he was the first guy I went up against ever in mass wrestling. <laughs> Um, and so I took second to him. And you're still and, doing and, this after he's being the yeah, first person. Yeah, it was, I was just like, because I, I remember I just said, I was like, don't hurt me too bad, right? And he was like, yeah, we'll see. I was like, all right, well. And then he he, he threw me, like legit threw me over the board. I was like, awesome. And then um, later on that year, I got invited to go to Hungary for the World Cup. And that's where I met Chad. Um, uh, Chad was in, in Chicago, but like we didn't really get to talk. So I got to hang out with Chad in Hungary and stuff like that. I met Nicole. I met Ariel. Um, and, and Russ and all those guys. And then I was kind of hooked. Like I did the Arnold the following year. Um, it, I'm a glutton for punishment. Like I didn't do well the first like year and a half I was in it. Like I did a tournament in Mammoth, Kentucky, um, got dead last because uh, the thing I didn't realize at the time, I didn't realize there was a difference between my weight class, which is 125 kilos, 275, and there's absolute. I didn't know anything about absolute. And absolute is just everybody that's 230 pounds and up. But most of those guys are like these 300, 330 pound monsters. And I just, I didn't know any better. So I was just getting my butt kicked and I thought I just sucked. And then I would go compete in a 125 tournament and I would finish, you know, top three, top four. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So then I switched my mentality. I'm like, well, I'm just going to use the absolute tournaments as practice. Um, cause like I can't get worse. Like I'm getting, you know, beat by all these guys. So, um, and then, uh, 2018, yeah, 18, I went to Russia for worlds. I got, I got selected to go to, to be on the 125 class uh, for team USA for worlds. And I ended up taking fourth, um, at the world championships, which was kind of like, um, just kind of left that like bitter taste in your mouth that you're like, all right, you gotta, you gotta keep going a little bit. And this year was supposed to be 
Worlds, but with everything going on, um, they've had to postpone it. They say it's postponed. I don't see it happening this year because I don't think international travel is happening for the rest of the year. But um, we're supposed to have Worlds this year. Maybe we'll have it next year. I have no idea. What? How do you train for Moss? I don't train that much differently than... I did for the Highland Games. I actually, for the Arnold, I reached out to somebody to kind of help me um, with some Moss-specific programming. And at the end of the day, what I realized, I'm like, it's it's not that much different. Um, the only thing that really is different is uh, on like a, a, a lower body emphasis day or a max effort lower day, the Moss work replaces your deadlifting. Um, and so I would do just my Moss drilling board work. Um, my accessory work changed a little bit because it was more specific stuff. Like I was just doing like um, doing essentially like those uh, uh, Jefferson curls, but walking side to side, doing the Jefferson curls and stuff like that. More hamstring elongating type stuff while strengthening like isometric um, holds and things along those lines. A lot more core work, a lot more lower back work and stuff like that. But I was do I do it a lot of reverse hypers, back extensions, um, things like that. And then between all the throwing, like I get a lot of core work in in general. But it really didn't train or it really didn't change my training that much. The only thing was there was not really a big emphasis on pressing, which makes 100% sense. There was yeah, more emphasis there was more emphasis on like single arm rows, pull-ups, um, uh, chest supported rows, doing stuff with sleds, sandbag carries, things along those lines. So it doesn't really change all that much. It's just as you get closer to the competition, just like with everything, you just start to get hyper-focused on, you know, your sessions and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think the obviously one of the hardest things for Moss is going to be having people to practice with. And I've seen yes. obviously I've watched all the different I, one. You're training like the the Moss specific drills are really cool to see and the creativity yeah. there. But it's obviously very hard to find people to train against, especially somebody who's as freakazoid as you are. Um, yeah. It's like um, so. So how have you remedied that? Is there a way that you've been able to find any practice? So yeah. Um, Originally, I was using bands. Uh, the problem is with bands is you have to, like, they have to, getting into the start position is not easy with the band, and you can't activate, you know, the band tension from the start position. So, like, it doesn't really do a great job because you're not simulating an actual start. Like, you're already, like, on the defensive when you get set up with the bands and things like that. So, I was using bands at first, um, and then Spud Inc. Had, came out with the low pulley attachment. So they had the high pulley, um, which I had seen before, and then like I think it was 2017 or 18, they came out with the additional low pulley attachment. So I actually got one of those, and I was using that. I would put a board in front of it, or I put a, a jerk block in front of it, and I would take a moss stick and I put it through the spud straps, and I would load up the little loading pin that they that came with it with plates, and I was just doing pulls off of that. Like you were supposed to be doing seated rows with it, but I was using it for moss wrestling stuff. And I could work, I could work like not being in tension at the start. Like it simulated it the best. Problem I ran into was the loading pin wasn't tall enough to load enough weight on there. Then I opened up the new gym, and. Uh, I had put a little bit of extra money aside in the budget to get one of Rogue's Rhino belt squats. So I put together, uh, I got Rogue's Rhino squat, and as I'm putting it together, I'm looking at how it's set up and everything like that, and I'm like, I bet you 
I could do some moss training with this. And sure enough, I could like, um, it's got a little like hook on the back of it where you can attach bands to the pegs and stuff like that. So that is like my main training apparatus for moss right now. And I don't think that's what rogue and made, made it with the intention of it being, but it is probably, if I were to tell anybody like it, the, the, the rogue rhino belt squad is probably the best training tool for moss. If you're training on your own, because, uh, you can put your moss board in front of it. Like I, I have a board and I set it in front of it and I'm able to walk the board with the cord and stuff like that while being in tension. I can do a bunch of different drills with it and stuff like that, but it also just helps overloading your, the start of your pull. Yeah. Um, so it is, that has been probably the best way. Nothing is going to beat real world experience. And that's where I get beat is because I don't have all that extra practice against a live physical person, but I make the best with what I got. But that, that rogue belt squad has probably been the most helpful tool that I have because I've been without, I haven't even had to put a ton of weight on it. Like I can load a bunch of band tension on there and a couple of 25 kilo plates. And I've been able to get like something crazy, like seven, 800 pounds of tension at the, at the, at the full extension of that pole. Mm -hmm. And like that's That's more than enough. That's going to help a lot. Yeah. Um, Well, if we're ever, in the same city and need to train i'll do it with i'll I'll suffer through it and let you whip my ass for a little bit and, uh, i'll just i'll hook you up to the belt squad so you can play around with it there you go um yeah i i've got a winning belt squat squat yes. i think if i would do it over again i would i would definitely look at that rhino i really like how it looks yeah I, I i was i was torn between the two yeah and then it was literally just coincidence that when i was opening the gym Rogue had a Black Friday sale. Oh, there you go. And I was, and it was, it was, yeah, I got, it was like fifteen hundred bucks, like significantly cheaper. And I was like, mm-hmm. done. Can't beat it. And, it. and it was like free shipping too. I was like, here we go. <laughs> um, well, Tom, let's try to wrap this up. I think we've sure. just eclipsed an hour, and that's when I'm trying to keep them. So, uh, cool. first thing, and I forgot to mention earlier, um, I have to give you a lot of credit for me starting back up this podcast. Um, I podcasted with somebody else in the past, and. Yeah. Uh, strength agenda radio bring it back man i'm I'm working on it i am i am i i've had a lot of people actually it's really funny with all the extra downtime people have had um i've had a lot of people message me and be like hey like are you gonna do the podcast like you have the time now kind of a deal (laughs) um i'm working on it it's it's been one of those deals um i've just had so many other well you understand like i've had so many other projects and things going on that that just was that was more of like a passion thing yeah um, I, I, I wasn't monetizing that in any sort of way and I had, and I had no intentions on it. I just liked having talks with friends and I figured like somebody else could get something out of those talks. So that's why I started recording it. Um, I'm probably going to start doing something with it again soon. Um, I'm just trying to get a, a few more, uh, uh, things ironed out before I start recording and things like that. Yeah. And so I'm trying to mimic yours. I'm, I've, I've, I was nice. like, I've straight up tell, I'll tell you to your face. I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, oh, that's the seasonal format, you know, this is you're my ninth guest of the crossover strength athlete season here. Cool. And um, and then I, I've got ideas for my next couple seasons coming up, nice. and then we um, and then I've got lightning round for you. Let's go. I was like, oh, let's do it um, to finish lightning up. Round. So um, the first one is favorite beer. Favorite beer. Ooh. Um. Anything. Uh, any stout. To be honest, I'm not picky. Okay. So any stout. All right. Favorite food. Favorite food. Ooh, right now it's cheesecake. Cheesecake. All right. I can, you get one of the, you get one of those like ten or twelve piece samplers. I can eat a whole one in a sitting. <laughs> hey, hey, we're and I wrote this down earlier. Not a, not an underwear not an underwear model, but you gotta eat to eat to oh, abs- performance. Absolutely. Um, 
All right. What's been your favorite place or competition you have ever traveled to? Like hands down, hands down Russia. Yeah. Russia was legit. So what was so cool about Russia? Um, it was in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like <laughs> honestly, like Yastuk or however you pronounce that. It was in Yakutsk, um, Yakutsk. which is which is up in Siberia. It, it was because what interested me about it was how we had to get there. Like I flew from Chicago to Helsinki, Helsinki to Moscow, Moscow to Yakutsk. It would have been way faster if I would have gone the other way. Oh yeah, because right. Yakutsk is right up by like the uh, Korean border. Like it's it's that yeah. far over across the country, um, and that's where the sport was born. That's where the sport you know originated. That's where all their competitions up until recently were held. So the only way to do it was to go to that part of the country. Um, but just like the, the 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 culture there was just insane. Like um, because it is so cold there year round. Like they have like we're worlds was supposed to be in June this year there. It was going to be the first time they were doing it. They have what's called the sun festival because they only have two months out of the year. Temperature is warmer than 50 degrees. Um, everything else is everything else. Like when we were there during the winter, it is hands down the coldest place I've ever been. And I don't think I'll ever be anywhere colder. Yeah. It was, it was negative. Like during the day, it was like negative 24, 25. Oh God. And at night it would get, it would drop another five degrees. Like we were told like Chad Clark and I were getting off the plane from Moscow to Yakutsk and we had shorts on and (laughs) one of our guys came running up to us and she was like, you have to put on pants. Like it's for your health. And Chad started laughing at her and I'm like, Chad, I'm like, I think we should put some pants on, man. And sure enough, like we were standing by like the door getting ready to go and the door opened up and I'm like, nope, I'm putting pants on. Like, uh, And, and, and it was the first time Chad voluntarily put pants on as well. He goes, yeah, man. He goes, I'm going to put some pants on too. And he's like digging in his bag for his like one pair of pants and stuff. But it was like the culture was cool. The people were super nice there. Yeah. Like none of, none of the buildings, because the ground is so hard, when they go to build a building, they have to bring in an oil drill. And they drill into the ground and they drop I-beams. Yeah. And then they build the houses up on stilts. So all the architecture there has little curves because you could or like uh, little curves in the roof from I beam to I beam. You can see where the I beams are inside the structure. So it was just kind of cool to see that. Like the people were super nice and super friendly. Um, All the stuff you hear in the news, they they love us. Um, They if you have a beard, they love you even more. Um, (laughs) You almost have to have one if you're gonna freaking go to that cold of temperatures. None of them have a beard there though. That's crazy. Like none of the none of the the, the actual like Yakushian people have facial hair, and that's why they that's what we were told why they were so fascinated with us. Like there were there were a couple of Americans that had just like big beards, and they like we had like people, can I touch your beard? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like <laughs> they're like, oh my god, and like they'd walk away, and that that was the conversation. I'm like, all right, cool, <laughs> great. But Yakuts was hands down probably one of the coolest places I've traveled to to compete. Okay, and uh, I guess last question, and it's, this isn't a lightning round. I forgot to yeah. ask it earlier. Um, with what you know now, what yeah. would you have done different back then? Uh, probably nothing, honestly. Um, everything, you know, everything happens for a particular reason, and I wouldn't have the experiences or you know the the, the people around me uh, or the friendships and the the acquaintances and stuff like that that I have now had it not been for any of that stuff that went on. So to like 
sit and think about changing something that could particularly take away one of those experiences or one of those relationships, like I, I, I couldn't even fathom trying to do that. So I, I really wouldn't change a whole lot. Awesome, man. I, I appreciate that answer. Um, actually, I lied. Last question. And yeah. this is, um, here we go. Yeah. Uh, you have a map of the United States. Yes. <laughs> uh, every state is a button. You push one of those buttons and that state wipes off the map for good. What state mm. is it? Right now, unfortunately, it's going to be Florida or Georgia. <laughs> Florida or Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Flip a, I'll flip a coin. Okay. All right. Um, uh, I, I have a lot of friends that live there. I love them, but uh, yeah, that's where I'm going with that one. So that is a uh, for my listeners that ha- haven't listened to Strength of Junior Radio, go listen to Strength of Junior Radio, Tom's podcast. Awesome. This podcast mimics it, essentially. Um, that is one of his lightning round questions that he always asks. or at, It's one of the questions he asks. So yeah. I thought it was fun to throw that back at I'll, s- well. I'll send you. The, I'll send you the full list of them. Oh, so yeah? Can, yeah? Oh, yeah. I'd love that. There's like, there's like 10 or 12 of them on there, and I just literally will just randomly, I'll close my eyes and just point. Yeah. And that's the question I ask. <laughs> um, well, man, Tom, appreciate it, man. I've actually got to shut up with you because i got to get ready and actually go work and make pizzas all day. There you go, man. Have fun man, with that. I appreciate it, and uh, right. hopefully oh, I see you sooner or yeah. later with all this stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. It. Thank you.